Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 203, where we're in the book of Luke, and we will continue on in chapter 15. And it says the parable of the lost sheep. It says all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts, uh, puts on it. <laughs> when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Verse seven, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. And so what does this show us? This shows us that the kingdom of heaven, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, they are concerned about everyone. See, not everyone is concerned about them and not everyone is going to choose them, but they are concerned about everyone. They want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to make the decision for the kingdom of God, for heaven. And so it is not their desire to leave anybody behind, not one. The parable of the lost, lost coin. Or what woman who has 10 coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds the other coin? See, you say, what woman you know, who, who's lost you know, 10 coins who doesn't search everywhere to find the lost one? It says, I tell you, in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. One sinner who repents. There's a rejoicing, there's a party in heaven over one person who turns to the Lord. The parable of the lost son. In verse 11, he also said, a man had two sons. The younger one of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he, uh, so he distributed the assets to them. And so man had two sons. One, the younger son says, hey, I want my inheritance now so I can go have fun. So the father says, okay. And he gives it to him. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. Now, what, what kind of foolish living? He spent his money on prostitutes, you know, and I imagine you know, booze, getting drunk, uh, being with prostitutes, carousing, you know, that sort of thing. He squandered it, everything. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. So apparently this, the younger son, apparently the father was um, a father of some means. He distributed the inheritance to both his older and younger son, but the younger son took it and went and squandered it. Now he has to work for somebody else feeding the pigs. Wow. Verse 16. He, the younger son, longed to eat his fill from the pods of the pigs he was feeding. In other words, the pigs had better food than he did. See, it says he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating. 
He longed, he desired, he really wanted to eat what the pigs were eating because he was starving, he was famished, uh, and they were eating better than he was. But no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. It's a good question. So he says, I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So we see here that the younger son comes to his senses, goes back, or is willing to go back and tell his father, I blew it. He's, he's willing to essentially fess up. Dad, I blew it. I, I, I messed up. I just blew it. I don't expect anything from me. Just, just treat me like one of your workers because being treated like one of your workers is better than what I was living under. In verse 20, he says, so he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. His father ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. Now, we can imagine that the younger son probably wasn't expecting anything like this. In verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But here, here's what the father's response was. But the father said, or told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. I would have done something similar. Even though I knew what my son had done, I could, he could, the, the father could probably see the humility that the son was coming back home with, what it would take for the son to come back home and to admit that he was foolish and stupid and squandered his inheritance. I would have done the same thing for one of my boys. Yeah. Verse 23, then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. So the father said, let's celebrate you know, with the feast. <clears throat> because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. I would have felt exactly the same way. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Man, I would have done the same thing. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field as he came near the house. He heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has uh, slaughtered a fattened calf because he has, because he has him, because he has him back safe and sound. Then the older son became angry and didn't want to go in. So the older son comes back from working in the fields. He says, "What's going on?" He tells him, and now he's salty now, you know. So his father came out and pleaded with him. He replied to his father, "Look." I have been slaving many years for you and have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Now, to me, this sounds reasonable, right? He said, look, this guy ran off, spent his money on prostitutes, and God knows what else, and now he's coming back with his tail between his legs, and you throw him a party, and I've been here with you all this time doing exactly as you told me to do. I can understand how the older son was feeling. But when the son of beers came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered a fattened calf for him. You didn't, you didn't give me a fattened calf for my friends, but when this, when this squanderer comes back, then you slaughter a fattened calf for him. The father says in verse 31, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And so the, the father is adding perspective to the older son. He says, look, this is, our, this, is, this is my blood. This is your blood. This is one of us. He was lost. He was, he was off in another netherland. You know, I didn't know if he was going to be lost for good or what. But he came to his senses and he has returned. He has come back. And for that, we must celebrate. That doesn't mean that I don't love you. That doesn't mean that I don't or won't celebrate you. But we have to rejoice because he's come to his senses. And so Jesus is telling this parable because that's the way it is in heaven. When people come home, you know, they may have been out uh, involved in foolishness, involved in debauchery, involved in all kind of sin and wickedness. And one day they have an awakening. And they said, what am I doing? And they return home. If I was the old man, regardless of which one of my kids may have gone a wayward way, when they return home, it is a huge celebration, a huge celebration. And if that's the way I would feel, how much more does our Father in Heaven feel that way with regard to us? Chapter 16, the parable of the dishonest manager. Now he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who received uh, an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Yo, dog, what is this I hear about you, man? You wasting my money. Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. So look, I'm going to audit you. You know, what do you tell me what you've been spending on and whatnot? Cause you're out of here. Verse three. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. So the manager is saying, Look, I can't do nothing but manage people. I can't do nothing but delegate work. I can't actually work. <laughs> I don't have the ability to actually work. All I can do is supervise. You know, and he says, I'm too ashamed to beg. Now what I'll do, uh, now what will I do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes? So he's thinking, okay, I'm, I'm fired from here. I got to figure out something. What can I do? He says, oh, verse five. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. 100 measures uh, of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write 50. So he's saying, give me half. Verse 7. Next, he asked another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told him, and write me 80. So give me 80 measures. See, So now he has 150 measures, right? And then he's collecting this for himself. So he's not collecting this for his master. He's collecting this for himself. In verse 8, the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted truly. So the master re- realized what was going on. And he realized that this guy is trying to figure out, you know, how he's going to live, you know, by uh, collecting money at less than what the people owe for himself so that he can live. And so the master recognized what the what the uh, dishonest manager was doing. And he praised he praised him because he was shrewd. You know, he recognized what he was doing. He said, that's pretty smart. That's unethical. That ain't right. But that's pretty smart. 
And it says, for the children of this age, again, this is Jesus talking, for the children of this age are more shrewd than the children uh, of light in dealing with their own people. See, so Jesus is saying, you know, that sometimes the children of light, we're not too swift. So we're not too smart about dealing, uh, dealings on earth. Sometimes we're naive. Sometimes we give in to things that we shouldn't give in to. Sometimes we don't exercise wisdom in our dealings with other people. And I tell you, uh, this is Jesus talking, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Now, this is Luke chapter 16, verse 9. This verse right here is in many ways, how I've tried to pattern my life for the last, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years or so. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Jesus is saying, look, use your worldly wealth in order to do God's work, in order to do kingdom work. You know, in order to turn other people on to me and who I am. So use worldly wealth in order to make friends of the world so that they might turn to me through you. So that those whose lives you impact for me in that way may welcome you into eternal dwellings. In other words, when it comes your time to, to leave this earth, those who have gone before you, who you have impacted for the kingdom of God, may welcome you into eternal dwellings because of what you did for them. So he says, use worldly wealth to make friends. In other words, be shrewd with regard to how your money works for you. See, how your efforts work for you, how your talents work for you. Be shrewd in it. Be intentional about it. Know what you're doing. Verse 10, whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous, unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you uh, with what is genuine? And so this is you know, a tag along to what I just talked about. So Jesus is saying, you know, being faithful with worldly wealth means using your worldly wealth to gain friends in this life for my kingdom, for my purposes. He's saying that is being faithful. And if you do that faithfully, you know, then more will be given to you. But if you don't, he says, who will trust you with genuine things, with divine things, with really important things? If you can't do it, with what you have right now in verse 12. And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, in other words, if you have not been faithful to what I have given you, who will give you uh, what is your own? Then I won't give you anything that's of your own because I can't trust you. This is what Jesus is saying. So he's examining how we use our money. He's examining how we use our talents. He's examining how we use our time. He's examining how we use our efforts. All these things are under examination. 
It says, no servant can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here he's talking specifically about money. He says, if money is your God, if everything that you do is directed at earning more money, hoarding more money for selfish purposes uh, that benefit nobody else except you, Money has become your idol. Money has become your God. Therefore, you love money and you despise God because you can't do both. But if you put uh, keep money and put money in the proper perspective with regard to what it's to be used for, and that is in alignment with the things of God, then you have God in the position of God. See, and you love God and you despise the selfish um uh, utilization of money. See, you can't have it both ways. You'll love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. It's either or. Kingdom values. The Pharisees who were lovers of money. Now, he just talked about you can't, you know, how you can't love money, right, and love God at the same time. And so now he goes on to the next subject, which I think is probably what he wanted to get at. <laughs> The Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and scoffing at them. And he told them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. See, for what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. And so he says, you are the ones who justify yourselves, you know, with your, um, uh, values and wealth and riches and, you know, maybe property and other things. But Jesus is correcting them, see, because what is highly admired by people, you know, people admire, you know, people that have a lot of resources, people that have a lot of power, people that have a lot of influence, you know, uh, celebrities. We celebrity worship in this country and we put people on pedestals that they have no business being on. You know, that even goes for, for the church, uh, not only with uh, non-Christians, but we put pastors and, and priests and, and bishops and, and other leaders in the church on pedestals. We put them um, in positions that they could never live up to. You see, it's not fair to, to them or to you when we do that. But that's another subject. Anyway, uh, for what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. See, and so people give themselves over to this admiration and adulation and, 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 and celebrity worship and, and whatnot. And this is saying that these are things that are admired by people, but it's revolting to God. In verse 16, the law of the prophets were until John since then. And so the law and the prophets were until John, but since then. And so the law and the prophets, you know, what's in the Old Testament, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Levitical laws, you know, the dietary laws, you know, all these things, how to how to um, how to atone for sins, the animal sacrifices, all of these things. Right. Were until John, in other words, until John came, all of those things were in place. But it says since then, since John has come, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed and everyone, not just Jewish people, everyone is urgently invited to enter it. And so Jesus is saying that 
when John came, you know, uh, pronouncing the coming of the Messiah, the coming of me, all these laws that we read about and were educated about in the Old Testament, all those things were in place. But when I come along, things change. See, it says, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to drop out. Now, what does this mean? This means that Jesus didn't come to negate the law of the prophets and Moses. He came to fulfill them. And so what this means practically, in my opinion, and this is an opinion, what this means practically is that everything that's written in the Old Testament is still in place because the word says, and earth to pass away, uh, then for one stroke of the letter of the law to drop out. It says it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of God's word to drop out. Now, Jesus came and negated some of those Old Testament laws, like the, 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 uh, uh, the animal sacrifices, uh, the Levitical dietary laws, and some other things. And so it, I am of the opinion that unless Jesus negated spe- uh, specific elements of the law, the other things that he did not negate are still in place. See, honor thy father and thy mother, you know, and, 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 and the other, you know, um, uh, about adultery about anything else that's in the Old Testament laws. If he did not negate those things, then they're still in place. Now I said with the dietary laws, for instance, when, remember when he says um, that it's not what goes in your mouth, but it's what comes out your heart that defiles a person. And so when he said that, then he negated all of the, the Levitical laws with regard to what the people could and could not eat. But unless he says something specifically about it, I'm of the belief that those things are still in place. The rich man and Lazarus, verse 19. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, uh, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, uh, covered with sores, was lying at, at the gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. And so he, that to me means he, he was eating the rich man's garbage, right? And, um, and he would long for that, but sometimes dogs would come and lick his sores. Verse 22, one day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And so the poor man was carried away by the angels, but the rich man was buried. Verse 23, and, um, and being in torment in Hades, He looked up, this is the rich man, and being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off. So so he could see uh, the poor man in Abraham a long way off from where he was. It says, uh, he saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. Homie must have been burning up. Okay, if all he wanted was a drop of water from the finger of somebody to be on his tongue, because I am in agony in this flame. This is what the rich man said. I am in agony in this flame. In verse 25, son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. 
while you were alive on earth, rich man, you had you were living in the lap of luxury. Everything was good. You didn't think about anybody else except you. And Lazarus, he was just trying to survive and not doing a very good job of it. But now things have turned. See, the difference is your time on earth was limited. Where you are now is eternal. <laughs> and where Lazarus is now is eternal. And where he was was limited. Besides all this, a great chasm uh, has been fixed between you and us. There's a great valley, a great distance between where you are and where we are, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. And, and so Abraham is telling, look, we can't get to you. There's this valley between us that can't be crossed. We can't get to you. You can't get to us. It is what it is, and it's going to be that way forever. In verse 27, Father, he said, then I beg you to send them to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And so the rich man is begging him, look, go tell my brothers so that they change their lifestyle so that they don't end up in this place where I am. But Abraham says, look, They've got Moses and the prophets. It's all in the scriptures. If, if they just follow things, then they'll be fine. And he says they should listen to them. And the rich man says, no, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. They will listen if somebody from the dead comes to them. But Abraham says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. In other words, Abraham is saying, look, they're, they're going to find an excuse not to live uh, the way the scriptures tell them to live. You know, they will, if they get visited by someone from the dead, they may think it's just a dream. And it's just, a, you know, they'll, they'll just keep on going about their own way. And so if they don't have some kind of um, reckoning within themselves between then and when they die, they're going to be right there with you. Jesus is not holding back with regard to his parables and what he's trying to get across to the people. What he's trying to get, what he was trying to get across to the people then and what he's trying to get across to people now. He's not holding back. He's telling us what awaits us if we don't repent. A lot of people don't believe it, so they don't repent and they keep on with their lifestyle. They're doing exactly what the Israelites of that day did. One day we'll find out who's right. That's not something I'm willing to gamble. I believe the word of the Lord, I believe the word of the Lord, not just because it's in the word, but because I've experienced things that have justified or, or ratified the accuracy of this word. With that, we are done for today. And we will pick it up in Luke chapter 17 tomorrow. Remember that Jesus, through, this whole, through his whole gospel, he's extending an invitation as he's going through these parables. An invitation is being uh, extended. As he's healing the sick, 
an invitation is being uh, extended. As he's demonstrating his wisdom, an invitation is being extended. As he scolds the Pharisees, an invitation is being ex- uh, extended. And that invitation is to recognize me for who I am. For if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I am the Savior, that I am the Son of God, then you shall not be put to shame and you shall be saved. That is the word of the Lord. Don't hesitate. If you haven't made that confession, don't hesitate. For none of us are promised tomorrow, let alone the next five or ten minutes. So with that, we're done. And we'll pick things up tomorrow in episode, uh, I guess that'll be 204, I think. Everybody stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he happen to not come between now and tomorrow, we'll see you tomorrow in episode 204, I believe it is. Bye-bye now.